right. Oh, man. Ooh, this theme is like, like one time Pastor Sam got me up here to do an illustration. He brought out weights, and they were clearly far more like heavier than I was expecting and really struggled <laughs> to lift them because I'm weak. <clears throat> and, um, and, but, but doing the intellectual legwork for messages like this has been a uh, similar process, having to really wrestle with some of these concepts so we can bring to you guys something that's packaged in a way that you can take hold of it with handles and, and run with it tomorrow morning. Um, and I'm, I'm thoroughly loving the process of doing that. I, I love getting into the books and studying and, and doing that and, and bringing maybe a concept like this down to this. And, and that brings a challenge for any person who's got to preach throughout this series is that we've got 30 minutes to touch on a topic that we could literally sit in a room for hours and really get into the nuanced discussions about. And, and the Bible has a lot to say on a lot of these topics. Yeah. Um, and so it's not like we're just like brushing over them because that we just want to like make you feel like we've just touched on things and you know tickle your ears a little it's like no no we've, we've just got a little bit of a limited window what we're trying to do is say you know what if you want more information go back to this if you want more information on on what the bible or on what god says about any given topic this is your first point of call and so I'm actually preaching again in two weeks' time. This is a sneaky plug. I'm going to talk about the, the revelation of Scripture. I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room of, can I actually trust the Bible? Okay, but that's two weeks' time from now. Tonight, are you ready? We're, we're, going, to, we're going to get after it. Uh, I just want to honor our incredible location pastors, um, as I always do. Not because it's my, like, tick, I've done that, but I genuinely... I back Pastor Sam and Carolina 100%. Like, I've been under their leadership since I was 14, which tells me one of two things. Either God, I'm still not getting it, and God's like, no, you're like, you need to stay under their leadership until you get it, or that um, God so blessed me and so favored me and my family to be under them that he's like, he just, we're just staying with them and rallying behind you 100%. And so uh, thank you for all you do for our church. Um, God only knows. So... Um, and if you're joining us online, thank you so much. Um, I see you, Con, tuning in, and anybody else. I just know because Con messaged me saying, just before I hopped up saying, you're up. I'm like, thanks, buddy. Like, <laughs> I'm not already nervous enough. But um, So if you're joining us, hey, we can't wait for you to be in the room with us one day. And maybe you'll never be. Um, but we're just so excited that you're taking the time to be with us right now. And uh, we know that what God's doing in the room, he's going to do with you wherever you are. So are you ready tonight? Uh, if you have your Bible, let's start with Scripture. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 32 is going to be the anchor Scripture for this whole message. And um, it's, it's probably a really well-known verse. You, you might know it. Um, but it says this in case you don't have it with you. Um, it says, uh, is it on the screen? Yeah, there it is. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay, I want to read it to you in a different translation as well because I think it helps us. It says in uh, the, tr the Passion Translation says it like this. If you embrace the truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. So if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. It's an understanding and an embracing, a taking on of truth that produces freedom in our lives. And then John 8 verse 36 in the New Living Translation, just as a caveat, it says this, and if the sun sets you free, you are truly free. You ready? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for tonight. God, let your truth go forth as is written in your word. 
but also as the person of Jesus Christ, who is truth personified. God, we don't want to have intellectual conversations merely to be puffed up with knowledge. No, we want to see Jesus. We want to know Jesus better. We want to take Jesus into our workplace, into our university, into our school tomorrow and have a better understanding of how to live like Jesus. We pray that that would be the result of today's message. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Um, I'm, I'm not very um, technically savvy uh, when it comes to social media. Um, I just, I, I don't get it. I'm like, and it changes too quickly. You know, like one minute I'm like, okay, so this is the trend, this is what we're doing. And as soon as like I'm on a trend, it's no longer a trend. Young adults are looking at me like, it's too real. Hey. And if you're not looking at me like that, you're exactly like me. Uh, so it's fine. We're all in this together. And so um, I, I was actually scrolling through the other night, um, and, and I found this post by someone who I think is interesting, um, but she had beautifully articulated from the perspective of someone in the medical field just, just um, a really good perspective on, on the vaccination situation, okay? Um, and I'm not going there. That's not what we're talking about, but I, I now know that I've got your attention. Um, <laughs> And so she, she just, she's a nurse, and she just wrote out like really, um, really well-articulated argument for her perspective and her opinion, um, and, and from a Christian perspective as well. She gave some really good insights, and I, I, you know, I thought it was really good. And then I was looking through the comments because you know, it was kind of blowing up a bit, and this one comment caught my attention, and I think it, it, it captured in a single comment culture today. And it was basically like, like this is what it said in paraphrase. It said, thank you person who had written the post um, as well articulated I think you you've raised some really good points but that's and this is the this is the kicker right that's your truth and not my truth and I think we'll leave it at that and I was just like man isn't that the culture we live in today like and I don't know about you but I take my faith really seriously is that anybody else here like I'm like not backwards and coming forwards of like what is like you know start a new job, which I haven't done for a while, but when I did start new jobs, it'd be like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I, I do a lot of things, but m- the main thing I do is I go to church. Like, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm, well, Friday night's going to be youth, and Saturday's going to be chilling out and probably hanging with mates. <laughs> Come on, Lord. <laughs> and then Sunday, I'll be in church again. Like, oh, like, like, just, like, go for, like, no, no, I'm, like, in church all day Sunday. Like, I'm at church. I'm doing Fridays, like, from, like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon through to midnight. Like, and that is like, why? I'm, like, I take my faith seriously. I want to be a contributor. I want to, right? Like, this is, and yet when I engage culture as a Christian, a lot of times the same response in that comment is the same response I get. Maybe not as articulate, but in one form or another, it's like, well, that's good for you, but that's not my truth. And so tonight, I really want to look at this dynamic of truth. I want to look at this understanding, and and please tell me, please please hear me, I'm not wanting to give fuel to your fire so that you can become a keyboard vigilante, okay? Like, I'm I'm not into that at all. Seldom has an argument ever won someone to your side, right? So this is not, and Pastor Cam said the same thing this morning, this is not any one of these topics is not so we can march out into the streets with our, you know, whatever form of signage or whatever and say, ha we've got something for you now, culture, cop this. 
it's not like that. It's rather that we can better understand our faith in the culture that we live in and how it actually has responses to the big questions and then walk out in love and in hope and say, you know what, we've got answers. Because, you know, like, just taking abortion, side caveat for a bit, it's like, the stats don't tell you about how many mental health issues around, surround women who've taken or gone down the pathway of abortion. Like, no one's talking about that thing, but the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about how taking your life and, and that type of thing can actually impact your own life. Okay, and so tonight I want to talk about truth because if we get truth, we get freedom. Listen to that scripture again. It says it in, in John chapter 8, verse 32. It says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So the question is, how can we engage a culture that is so dismissive of truth? How do we engage a culture that actually has no room for or doesn't want to talk about truth in absolute terms? Right? Jesus struggled with the same thing. This is, this is Jesus on trial before Pilate. And, and Pilate actually asked Jesus talking about the process. Pilate's asking him questions. And, and Jesus talks about the truth. And Pilate's response, so, so telling of culture probably that how, how it's always been, Pilate says, what even is truth? Yeah, right. And it's like, whoa. If, if that was when Jesus was around, not much has changed. And this is why, this is the reason truth is always under attack, is because when truth is gone, freedom is gone. So if the enemy can take away truth from the equation, he can remove your freedom. But if you hold on to the truth, the Bible is very clear, you shall be free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay, so the enemy's always trying to attack truth. It's always trying to come against truth because it knows that if you walk in truth, you walk in freedom. Okay, so are you with me tonight? We're going to go there. The title of my message for those who are taking notes, which is all of you because you're all note takers, which is great, um, because you take the word of God seriously, is we want freedom. We want freedom. The, the statement, your truth is your truth, has a deeper understanding and a a deeper, um, I guess, layers to it that you really have to unpack, okay? Because what someone's saying when they say that is actually there is no absolute truth, there's only your truth. And, And to be honest, your truth is your truth. And my truth is my truth. But neither of those things is the truth. Okay? Follow me along because there's a lot of truths, but... Stick with me, okay? Your truth is your truth. And, and we'll get a little bit, we'll unpack that a little bit further later on. But it's not the truth, okay? If we say that truth is relative, we are making a truth claim by saying that. Therefore, the claim that we're making, follow me now, is subject to that very claim, okay? So what we're saying is subject to the very thing that we're claiming to be true, and therefore, that statement is relative and no longer true. Does that make sense? Yeah. Pastor Caroline's got one eyebrow up with me going, you might need to say that again a different way. Okay, so if I say truth is relative, that statement is what we call a truth statement. I'm, I'm claiming that this is a matter of fact, a statement of life, a, a universal law, okay? And therefore that statement falls prey to the very thing that I'm claiming is true, which is that it's relative and therefore it's no longer true, right? But if I say truth is absolute, 
and there are things that are actually just the way they are and you can't change that, that's true. Okay? We, we need to understand that culture is always trying to dismantle truth. Okay? All truth is relative and there is no absolute truth is the postmodern world we live in today. Okay? But the bigger issue here is not about truth. The bigger issue is freedom. And if it's true that there is a God and there is a standard that he would demand us to live by, then all of a sudden, truth is really important. Because all of a sudden, there's a higher authority, there's a higher understanding, there's a higher being in play that would have something, would, would like to, I guess, not impose, but um, present to us an option for living that would be outside of our understanding or outside of our truth because it's, it's bigger than us. It's more universal. It's more underlying. It's more underpinning, okay? If there is a God and he has a standard for our life, how are we supposed to respond to that? How, is, how, how does that then, and this is where the world gets all like up in arms about it. This is where culture gets all like, I don't want to hear this Jesus stuff. Yeah. Is because really what they're afraid of is if, if there's a God and I have to live a certain way, that limits my freedom or their perception of freedom. That limits what I can do with my life. If there's a God out there and he says that I can do certain things and I shouldn't do other things, that limits my idea of freedom. And so I don't want to hear that truth. That's, that's now your truth, Dan. That's good for you, but that's not my truth. Until it becomes the absolute truth and you die one day and you're standing before your maker and you go, oh, oh, that's, that's real. You're real. Mama. You know, like there's, there's no second chances once you cross that line. And so we need to be really, really clear on what it is we believe, why we believe it, what is truth, and, what, and how do we interact with the culture in, in a way that, that doesn't push them away because we stand up for something. Right? Like, how do we actually stand up for the truths that we hold on to? How do we stand up for abortion? How do we stand up for euthanasia? How do we stand up for... Uh, mental health issues or how do we stand up for these things in in culture where the bible has very clear uh standards for us in how we should live as christ followers and yet the culture would say well that's good for you but that's that's not good for me that's how you want to live how do we respond to the young adult who goes well why can't i just go sleep with anyone i want until i find that person and, and then i might marry them how do we respond to the, the teenager who goes, what's wrong with me harming myself because I feel this way? We need to have truth responses and be able to enter into those dialogues and conversations with people and meet relationally with people in a way that invites them into the truth that we know without pushing them away because we, we have a very clear standard and a very clear boundary. And, and the way that we do that is by not inviting them necessarily into our truth first, but inviting them into our freedom first. Because they begin to see your life and they see freedom in the way that you raise your kids. They see freedom in the way that you walk out your purpose and your calling. They see freedom in the way that you do relationships and you handle your finances. They see freedom in the way, why is it that you're not anxious? Why is it that you're not depressed? Why is it that you're not concerned about the future? Why is it in the midst of all that's going on in culture today, you stand confident and you have a centeredness about your life? How is that? And you go, well, I know the truth. 
no, no, that's your truth. No, 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 it's not my truth. I, I, I have a very clear understanding of what I, can be, what I need to be concerned about, what I should be worried about, which is very little in Christian context. God says, don't worry about anything. And so they see the freedom you walk in and they go, I don't necessarily buy into your truth, but I want your freedom. I, I, I don't necessarily buy into your standard of living, but I want the way you do live. And all of a sudden we can in, not just intellectually talk about concepts and ideas, we can relationally go, well, if you want this, how about you try adjusting this? How about you just take this one step? How, how about you just take this, this step? How about you try adjusting this? You know how you've been doing this with your life and trying to live, you know, in this idea of freedom? Because this is how the world dictates freedom, right? No responsibility, no limitations, no boundaries. That's not real freedom. And we'll get to that. Oh, man, I'm, this is good. I hope you, you with me? Okay. You can't have relative truth and absolute freedom. You can have absolute truth and absolute freedom, but you can't have relative... If you have relative truth, you get relative freedom. Which is to say that uh, your freedom is is diminutive and it's not real freedom. It's freedom with with a cost. Freedom with... um, It's second-rate freedom, okay? And this is the nature of truth. You could substitute the word truth for reality. Because if it's actually truth... It is actually the reality of life, okay? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't just say what I say is true. He didn't just say I'm a real person. He said, I define truth. It's my very identity. I am truth. And he also said, it says of Jesus in Hebrews, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which tells me that truth doesn't change. It's always been Jesus. It's always going to be Jesus. I remember being in youth ministry one time, and, and, you know, you you serve under Pastor Sam, and he gives you more responsibility. That's his way of rewarding you. And, um, and, then, and then, you know, you, you begin this relationship, and, you, you know, you're like, hey, Pastor Sam, you know, like, you've given me some responsibility. I'm just, you know, giving some, some information back to you. You know, there's these problems. How do we solve these problems? And, and this one time, I remember, Sam was just like, I'm like, Sam, what's the solution? And he's just like, Jesus. I was like, that's, very spiritual, but very unhelpful. <laughs> like, how do I, how does that meet, what, what am I supposed to do with that? But, it, and then he just, he just repeated himself. It's Jesus, Dan. It's always been Jesus. It's always going to be Jesus. And I'm like, I clearly am missing what you're saying. I'll, <laughs> I'll come back to you. But the more I thought about it, and the, that statement has stuck with me over and over again in every situation. Jesus is the answer yeah. because he is truth. He's unchanging. He's always been this, the same. He'll never change. When he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that's a promise you can take to the bank. If you're anxious, if you're depressed, if you're worried about finances, if you're not sure about who you're going to marry in the future, do you know what the answer is? Jesus. It's all found in him. It's always going to be found in him. And even then when you get the answers to all those questions and then you're walking out a marriage and you go, I don't know how to work with this person because you're different and, and opposite sex and stuff. What's the answer? Jesus. I just tell my wife, I'm like, shut up, Jesus. You know, like, as if that's going to fix her, like magic words. But, and, and, 
And God's like, actually, be a man. And another message for another time. All right. So absolute truth sees reality as it actually is. We don't. And that's the thing. We don't see... We don't see life the way it is. We see life as we are. Your upbringing, your, your, parent, your parents, your uh, experiences in life, the things that hurt you, the things that disappointed you, the things that you went through, every move you m- m- had in a geographical location, the country you were born in, the country you moved to, the country you were raised in, all these facets and a hundred million more all make you the person you are, but all put on the lens of the way that you see reality and tint the way that you see the truth, the way you perceive life. And so the the truth is not actually what you... you, The way you see life isn't actually the truth. It's just a a reflection of who you are and what you've gone through. But absolute truth sees reality the way it actually is. This means that the truth you accept and live by produces for you the freedom or the captivity that you walk in. If, if life is the way you, you see it and not actually reality, then whatever your truth is, not, not absolute truth, but whatever you think is the truth will be the thing that you walk out in your life. And that will either free you or it will keep you captive. For some of you, this is a victim mentality you're walking in. For some of you, this is a, a, a mindset or a um, understanding of the world that isn't actually biblical, nor is it from God, but because of the truth that you've taken on and chosen to live out as a reality, it has not brought you freedom, it's brought you captivity. And for others of us, we walk in freedom because it's a reality for us. Tithing is a reality for me and my family. It would seem like bondage to the world. You give 10% of your income? Yes. And I'm blessed. It's a truth. It's a universal law. You can take it to the bank. It's not, look, it didn't make sense up here originally. But I trusted the one who made the comment that I should do it, who is Jesus, who defines and personifies truth. And so I went, I'll live that out until it becomes my reality. Now I, can't imagine, now I can't imagine life without tithing. Now I can't imagine life not give, being generous. And if you were at youth a couple Friday nights ago, I can't imagine not messing with people in public. Just being like, because now my truth is defined not by my upbringing or my, because if it was me, I would try and hold on to my money. I grew up with five younger brothers. My family were dirt poor. Like my Christmas stocking was a pillowcase. That was a joke. It's, I had a great childhood. I'm not, you know, diminishing that in any sense. I'm just trying to, like, for me, money was always like we never had enough. So it didn't make sense to give 10% of it away. But that's what, like, probably the only thing my parents taught me about finances was that we give 10%. And I'm so grateful for that because that's changed the dynamic of everything. And yes, I've applied to that principle, financial knowledge and wisdom and understanding of how finances work, but the basis of all that other knowledge is the truth. The basis for anything that we have in life has to be the truth. And if it's not the the real truth, the absolute truth of the word of God, of Jesus Christ, then it's gonna eventually either fall and cave in and it won't hold up, it won't stand, or it'll produce freedom because it's real. It's a, truth is either producing freedom in our life 
or it's not the truth and it's producing captivity in our lives. If Jesus, coming to the person of Jesus, was just a good teacher and not God in flesh, then his teachings can be heaped on the pile of any other ideology or any other wise person who says things. But if he's God and the personification and embodiment of truth, then I'm able to submit my life not only to what he teaches, but the way he lives. And that changes then the way I live and the freedom I walk in. All of a sudden, forgiveness is a possibility. That person I thought I could never forgive, Jesus forgave them, so I can forgive them. That hurt or bitterness that I'm walking through, if Jesus can deal with those things and I see that exemplified in his life, then I can take that on in my life and walk in that truth as well. I can love my enemies. I can do good to those who hate me. I can pray for those who spitefully use me. I can love those who persecute me because my example is Jesus. Culture would not do any of those things. Culture would say freedom is to kick that person in the teeth, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, take back what's yours and then some, hustle, grind, do what you do, what you do get ahead what, by any means possible. Jesus says, trust me. Jesus says, walk in step with me. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to clothe. It's countercultural, but if one's the truth, it's going to produce freedom. Otherwise, it's going to produce captivity. And we see time and time again, people take on an amalgamation of a little bit of what Jesus says and a little bit what contemporary culture says or a little bit what seems like the gurus are saying and they try to mix them together and, and, and make some conglomerate of half truths and it doesn't produce the freedom that people want to walk in but when we take the truth of Jesus Christ and his word and we wholeheartedly 100% give our lives to it we will walk in a freedom that cannot be explained that cannot be described it can only be viewed at and witnessed by others and go you know what yeah I want that for my life yeah, I want to walk in that freedom. Proverbs says that um, without vision, people perish. Another translation says they cast off restraint. In other words, the way you see life determines how you respond to it. And a, a life without restraint would be how the world defines freedom. We've discussed that already. But Jesus defines that as death. God defines a life without vision and no restraint as a life that leads to death. Otherwise, the translations wouldn't, they wouldn't go back and forth like that. It wouldn't be a, a, a man without, you know, vision. Oh, I'm all confused and confuzzled because it's two different translations. A person without vision will perish or a person without vision casts off restraint. The, it's the translation of the same root words. And so we need to recognize that freedom is actually not the nothingness or the void of no restraints, it's actually restraints that produce life. Freedom is restraints that produce life. A really good example is this. If I take a fish and I give it absolute freedom by throwing it into the middle of a footy field, all the space in the world it can imagine, like no predators around, there's not a shark to be seen. I'm a good guy. I have freed this fish. In fact, I will go get more of his fishy friends and I will bring them and they can all be free on this football oval. We're laughing because it's ridiculous, right? Because that's not actual freedom. Because the restraints of water 
create the environment that allow the fish to flourish. And the same is for us. There is an environment that we can be in and it produces for us what is necessary for flourishing, for thriving, for freedom. And there is another environment that we can step in and it looks like wide open spaces, but it will produce in us death. It will produce in us, um, can't breathe here, can't move here. Like in the water, the fish is like agile, can go anywhere, try to catch that sucker. It's not, it's not having a bar of it, unless you pass the Tim Mac. And anyway, no. He's a spear fisherman and he's really good and like fish don't get away. But if, if you take that same fish and you put it on the football oval, it's flopping around. It's, you know, like doing its thing. Youth ministry. Can't go past the salmon, you know. It's, it's no longer agile. It can no longer move. It's struggling to breathe. It can't see clearly. It's wondering what the heck is going on and what's touching it underneath the, like, grass. It, I've never felt grass before. It's not freedom. And the same is for our lives. Okay, so we need to find then, if truth produces freedom, we need to find the truth that creates the environment for us to live and to thrive and to flourish. Okay? Come on, iPad, stick with me. Again, this means if our vision is based on the truth of Jesus Christ and the Christian faith he exemplified, then even if it looks impossible, right? Even if it looks impossible, reality includes, because we're following Jesus, our reality, our truth includes a God who does the impossible. And we then need to walk in a freedom or an be in an environment that produces the freedom that we're after. The, the purpose of truth is to lead to freedom. The purpose of freedom is flourishing in our potential and the flourishing of those around us. So the ultimate question becomes, this is it, what is the moral and spiritual truth that we must acknowledge to thrive? What is the moral, spiritual truth we must acknowledge to thrive, to, to flourish in? And the answer is this, love. Love is the environment. Love is the constraint. Love is the, the boundary in our life that if we, if we put on the restraint of love, whether it be romantic or friendship, listen, I can say to, my, to, to Sarah, I love you till the cows come home. But unless I start to put on some restraints and, and, and boundaries, like there's no way in hell and I use that word very intentionally, that Sarah would allow me to love her and love anybody else in the same way that I'm allowed to love her. It's just like, see you later, bucko. That's not, that's not freedom. That's not love. So love puts on restraints. I choose Sarah above all else and to the detriment of all else. Like if this place is going down, guess who's the first person I'm getting out is? Audrey. Only because Sarah would tell me to. It'd be Audrey Benaiah, bang, we're out of here. Come back in, Sarah's next, and then I'll look after the rest of you. Duty of care, all that type of stuff. But love compels me first to Sarah. And the same is for us. Friendship. My friendship with Cam. I, I choose, it's called mutual submission. It's like, I want to be friends with you. We should hang out. And he goes, yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea. 
let's hang out. But I'm not going to, I'm then going to allow Cam to speak into my life and Cam allows the vice versa. It's this mutual idea of I'm going to change my life. I'm going to adjust to you. I'm going to change to you. We're going to be friends and I'm going to allow you to dictate a little bit of how I can live and I'm going to dictate a little bit how you should live. Hey, you probably shouldn't do that and vice versa. You know what I mean? It's this idea that in love, in common relationship, I submit to you. I lose some of my independence for greater levels of intimacy. I, I lose some of my um, so-called freedoms. It's a mutual loss for greater levels of health, for greater levels of um, codependence. And it can't be one way. It's got to be both. It's I will adjust to you. It's I will change for you. It's I will serve you. And this is, should be our response to the world. But unless we have it first with Christ, it's, it's not going to work. And if there's only one person who's doing this in the relationship, like if, if I mean, Sarah's perfect, so she'd be the one who'd be like always giving, always serving, always loving me. And if I was always like taking, 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 and never reciprocating, never mutually submitting, never mutually adjusting, changing, serving her, it'd be an exploitive relationship. I would be taking full advantage of Sarah's goodness, kindness, thoroughly good-looking person that she is. I, I, like, it's got to be mutual. It's got to be both ways. And so when we bring this into a spiritual concept, it would be easy for us to be trapped by the idea that, well, God's all-powerful, He's almighty, He's up there, holy holies. Like, I've got to do all the changing. I've got to do all the adjusting. I've got to do all the, the behavior modification. And that couldn't be further from the truth. My goodness, in Jesus Christ, in His incarnation, in His atonement, we get God Himself in full display. More, nothing more scandalous saying without a shadow of a doubt, I'll change for you. I'll adapt for you. I'll adjust for you. I'll become human for you. You know, Jesus Christ is permanently human. Forever and eternity, Jesus will be a human being like you and I. He'll be fully human and fully God for the rest of eternity. Such was the decision he was willing to go through in order to have intimacy and relationship and love with all of us. That blows my mind. Like before he came in the flesh, before his incarnation, he was spirit just like the Father and the Holy Spirit. But the plan was always before the beginning of the time that, that he would be the land slain, that he would come in flesh and, and take on our very nature. He took on the, the life of a human being he took on our very nature in becoming, in dying like a sinner. Although he never sinned himself, he, he submitted himself to the way we should have died. It's God screaming a thousand times every time, I'll change for you. I'll adjust for you. And the choices are ours to reciprocate, to take on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and to walk in the freedom that he has for us and go, you know what? God, you've done so much to change for me already. You've done so much to make available freedom for me. I'll now come into the truth of 
what Jesus Christ has done, his finished work. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You don't have to, you can be right here and just said, like, this is purely example. I don't encourage this at all. But like, you could have just murdered someone, walked in here tonight and be hearing this message going, you know what? Yeah, I want to accept Jesus Christ. You do not have to change your behavior at all to come to that revelation. But the moment you accept Jesus Christ, you then take on his truth and go, you know what? I don't want to be that person anymore because God has already done so much for me. God has changed. He, he has done so much. I want to now change for him. And when we walk in the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us, then we walk in a level of freedom that we, like, we can't even begin to articulate to the world around us. We walk in a freedom that, that suggests, you know what? If Christ has loved me the way he's loved me, if God has given so much for me already, then my life is no longer my own to, to withhold in any way. I'm going to give my life freely. It's what I love about our young adults rally coming up on Friday night or Red Frogs in a couple of weeks. It's, it's this idea that as a generation, we would, we would cast off the, the novelty of protecting our lives and, and, and shielding our lives from other people and, and just living for ourselves. But instead, we would live our lives wide open for others. We would give of ourselves for a generation. We would be up until three o'clock in the morning, which is absurd, and be cleaning up vomit. And, and, and people like, they're like, Schoolies, every year is like, why are you doing this? Man, because God already did so much for me. I just want to show you. I don't want to just tell you about it. I don't want to just talk about ideologies and concepts of truth. And all. No, no, I want to show you that I've already found freedom. My life's no longer my own. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39, he said, he who tries to gain life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's what we all want. We want freedom. We want true freedom, full freedom. But it's not the casting off of restraints. It's not the dismissing of truth, but rather the, it, it's the application of real truth, biblical truth, truth that won't change in Jesus Christ. And the putting on of the restraints that produce in us the environment for freedom, which is found in love. Loving relationship with a God who has loved us before the beginning of time and then loving relationship with one another that the world would then see, I want what they've got. We don't then have to ram truth down people's throats. We don't then have to come at culture with a, with a sledgehammer and be like, ah, the truth will set you free. We'll live a life that they go, I, I want what they've got. I, I want that. I, I don't know what that is even. I don't even know what that even begins to look like, but I, I've seen it and it's, it looks like what I want. I want that freedom.